U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Forum. Welcome to Farm Food Facts for Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. I'm your host, Phil Lempert. Today, we're going to have a very serious, frank, and enlightened discussion on the importance of collaboration during the pandemic, COVID-19. My guests are Polly Ruland, CEO of the United Soy Board, and Lynn Warscheib, who is one of the busiest farmers that I know and a true leader. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Polly is focused on the future, working to identify areas of economic growth for nearly every aspect of the soybean industry, whether it's soy that's used for animal feed, protein for human use, or a multitude of industrials in using biodiesel, asphalt, motor oil, and even shoes, the Soy Checkoff works on behalf of U.S. soybean farmers to advance agriculture sustainability through research, education, and promotion programs. Polly, in concert with USB's 78 farmer directors, develops programs and partnerships that drive soybean innovation beyond the bushel and increase the preference for U.S. soy. Lynn assists in the day-to-day operations on the farm, handling a wide variety of tasks from crop and input decisions, keeping the books, handling insurance, employee health insurance, taking seed or chemicals to the field, working ground or chopping stalks, and everything else that needs to be done. And that's just on the farm. She's also director and part owner of CNR Ag Supply and serves on the board of USB. She always knew her calling, evident from her early days pulling her red radio flyer wagon around her family's farm and farm supply business, delivering bags of seed or jugs of chemicals. She is the ninth generation to farm her family's farm in Fairmount, Illinois. Lynn, Polly, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Thank you. Thank you. So, Polly, you know, let me ask you, how do you define collaboration at USB, and how does that translate to everybody working together? I'll tell you, I don't think collaboration uh, has undergone a bigger transformation in definition than it probably has since COVID started. And that is, we used to think about collaboration as working together uh, in a way that was convenient for the two partners or the multi-partners that work together. I think COVID, particularly in the food supply business, the disruptions in the food supply chain made it very clear to those folks in our business how collaboration must be aggressive, must be um, uh, 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 table stakes, no pun intended, to, uh, to what we do every day in the food business. So how we define collaboration at USB is finding everyone that has a stake in a final product or decision and making sure that all of those folks work together to get the best final outcome that is profitable to all the entities involved. Uh, that's a little different than the kind of nice way we, des- we described or we adhered to collaboration before COVID. We realized that particularly in food systems, collaboration, meaning everybody with skin in the game and everybody contributing to come to the best solution is more important than ever. A good example of that is uh, United Soybean Board's partnership with the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. For the first time ever, we're working with funding um, from FFAR to invest in soybean quality research and protein um, quality as well within the bean. We're also partnered right now with uh, corn growers 
uh, as well as the pork board working on a carbon neutral pig. And those kinds of things are supply chain efforts that require aggressive collaboration to make sure that the best output is gained. So Polly, just to underscore, you know, your point, um, what I'm hearing from farmers now is they used to talk to, you know, the farmers that are nearby, um, that, that they were friends with, that they could collaborate with. Uh, but now uh, farmers across the country are talking to each other. Is that what you're finding with soy as well? We're finding not only are farmers across the country talking to each other, which frankly a service on the board like USB uh, enables that kind of collaboration in the farm sector, but we're also finding that farmers are reaching out across the chain more than ever. Listen, almost every ag product is interwoven with someone else's industry. It makes perfect sense that farming or farmers as the producers of the raw material uh, that goes into particularly soybeans that go into feed, 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 food, fiber and fuel would talk all the way across the chain to get to the consumer, which generally is the only way that cash gets into a food system. So not only are farmers talking across the country to each other, but more than ever, farmers are reaching out to other aspects of the food chain and outside of the food chain to make uh, collaboration real. Well, this um, obviously with, with COVID-19 being a, a, uh, a pandemic and a, and a very sad event, um, there are some uh, learnings that all of us across the supply chain um, have had. And I think that those are gonna stay with us uh, far beyond COVID-19 and we're gonna have a better agriculture system as a result. Um, of that. So, so Lynn, let me bring it back to the farm. What have you learned from other farmers and USB and what do you want to share with those farmers? Yeah, a big thing with that would just be that trying to figure out how to keep moving with continuously less and less and pooling in on your friends and other colleagues that might be across the state, across the county, um, across the country even to try to get some insight and figure out, hey, how are you getting through this and trying to implement different processes to make sure that we're all still farming and that we're all still providing the food, fiber, and fuel that we need to to make sure that not only ourselves are sustainable, but then also that the consumers out there are getting the quality products that they need to um, on a daily basis. So, Lynn, how are you getting through it? Um, how has COVID-19 affected uh, your farm? It has been quite stressful. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're a large producer or a small producer. I think I'm drinking a lot more coffee now and a lot less sleep. Um, but, you know, we're still here. Uh, the last several years have been quite a struggle. Um, and we keep rolling with the punches and pivoting as we need to to figure out how we're gonna get that seed and chemical to the field and how we're gonna get the parts that we need to repair our equipment. Uh, those are some really huge key things. And then also um, a big thing has been trying to navigate the world now where people aren't working in the offices, they're working through their homes. We're all navigating the issues of connectivity through the internet and broadband and that's been a huge struggle in itself is trying to get different things implemented or talking to the companies that we need to to get our crop in the ground or parts or just simple things like that and 
probably basically everything has taken about three and four more times longer to accomplish because of all these extra little hurdles and things that we're not used to dealing with. And, um, and even simple things of trying to find um, normal PPE, personal protective equipment that we would need, um, that we would be stocking up on right before the uh, COVID crisis hit. And you can't find it anywhere. And you still can't in a lot of places. And I know we um, it took us about four months to get more N95 masks for our own workers here. And that was quite a struggle and we had to get pretty creative and trying to get the things we needed for our crew here so that we could just be able to do the normal uh, measures, let alone other things that we implemented or attempted and tried to make sure that not only ourselves were safe, but yet that our crew that works for us is also safe as well. And that anybody that we may come in contact with that um, we're all safe and still being able to get that quality product in the field and marketed and then out and then on through the rest of the channels that it needs to go. So it's been extremely stressful, but we're learning to continuously pivot as it goes. So, but we're always hopeful for the best. <laughs> yeah, Lynn, and, and you're bringing up a really good point that not a lot of people uh, bring up. And I had a personal experience that I'll share with you too, but getting parts, getting things that, that yeah. you know, you used to just be able to, you know, order online or make a phone call and, and you get. Uh, so for example, about, uh, I want to say close to two months ago, um, our dishwasher broke. Uh, so called up um, the company and uh, they have no parts. So said, okay, you know, maybe it, it's probably about 15 years old, probably time for a new one. Anyway, ordered a new dishwasher, four months. And I just got an email yesterday uh, from, you know, the, the person that I ordered it from that now it doesn't look like I'm going to get it till February. So, you know, I'm, I'm learning how to wash dishes by hand, uh, <laughs> which is not a bad thing, you know, but but people really just don't think about that entire supply chain. You know, we think about from farm to table, but we don't think about pre-farm and, and getting parts that you might need to, to do things. So Polly, let's talk about uh, something else that Lynn brought up, um, communication. Um, what are some of the communicating methods that have worked? Um, or are things such as Honor the Harvest from USFRA um, now being virtual proven efficient? And, and how are you dealing with you know your uh, your board, which is an enormous board, um, and and how are you keeping in contact? Yeah, you know, just like almost everything in life, uh, COVID has had uh, is a double edged sword uh, as far as the communications area goes. So we have done a lot of working with our board members to make sure that our board stays in touch and can do virtual meetings. You know as well as I do that the situation for rural connectivity in this country is an absolute um, travesty. Yeah. I, I mean, we have worse connection in this country in rural areas than many third world countries do. Many of those small businesses in the third world have um, better connectivity to run home-based businesses uh, than we do in rural America. And so we have never felt it more, uh, more strongly than we have during the COVID crisis as we struggle to do business with our farmers over technologies that many in cities take for granted. 
So this communication um, situation in COVID has been extremely difficult for us and our farmers, mainly due to rural connectivity issues. That said, we have gone um, above and beyond to try to get our farmers as connected as they can be to do our board business. As you mentioned, we have 78 farmers on our board, which makes us have um, a nice uh, diverse number of opinions about the decisions that our board makes for our investments. At the same time, it makes it very difficult to get everybody into a high-speed environment that video conferencing is, is, um, is available. So we have moved forward on technology adoption at a rate that I, I would have guessed never possible prior to March with our board. If I would have told our board that in four months, we in July, we would be having an all virtual board meeting, I think they, well, one of them told me they would have put me in a straitjacket and hold me <laughs> off. <laughs> Just some sort of- It wasn't of me. <laughs> it wasn't Lynn. But literally, that's true. It's the same thing that they said when um, they said, why didn't I predict $11 beans? I said, you would have hauled me off in a straitjacket probably if I'd built the budget on that. But the truth is, the staff has gone to virtual, all of our financial processes um, to virtual, all of our communication with the board to virtual. So we've made that transition remarkably well um, compared to how I would have predicted it went. That said, when we do things like Honor the Harvest or um, the United States Soy Export Council does overseas marketing, um, not, none of it in person for a year, uh, we find that there are two outcomes. One of the outcomes is the personal one-to-one -one relationship is more difficult to build. That said, we reach a lot more people with our marketing efforts. Uh, USEC has gone all to virtual meetings over the past nine to 10 months and had in some cases five times more global participation in those virtual meetings than they ever had in an in-person meeting. So we reach um, 33,000 people from 78 countries in um, about 170 virtual events that USEC has held since March. That is a lot more people than we would reach. Now, it, it in my mind is not as high quality of a reach as it is to shake hands in certain parts of the, of the world. That's very important. So we get more information out. We get that information out faster. We get it out more efficiently as far as workload and time goes. But I worry about the quality of the relationships between our partners um, suffering during this time and hope it doesn't continue forever. I do think one of the lessons we've learned is we can do hybrid meetings, virtual and in-person. We can take advantage of the in-person aspect and now better advantage of the virtual aspect. So that's one of the silver linings, I think. So let me ask you a, a question that I've asked um, some other experts before. Supposedly, um, the, the fix for communication at rural was 5G. So every day I'm seeing on, on TV, uh, during the news, all these commercials for 5G. Mm -hmm. uh, in talking to um, uh, an expert on this, they told me that 5G is not gonna be in rural America and on farms for probably another three or four years. So what's going on here? And I know you're not you're not the CEO of a of a telecom, um, but you know I I just don't get it. Yeah, listen, um, we're doing a project right now at USB that we're using our board members as um, pilot subjects, 
And we are analyzing what their connectivity situation is one by one. And then we're gonna go back and recommend to both the board members and hopefully to their communities, some easy fixes to increase connectivity in their communities. I think what's happening is we're doing a lot of lobbying for broadband service in rural areas, but the profitability for those companies to build that infrastructure in those areas in their minds isn't there, okay? Because there's not that number of, there's not a good number of customers. Uh, or what they consider a good number of customers. Something's got to give here because if we want rural communities to keep doing business at the speed of American business and global business, something has to happen so that either broadband or some other form of high speed gets into rural communities quicker. We're not just talking about farming here, although farming needs, food production needs, are increasingly intense as far as technology goes, be that on the tractor or just simple communication needs, uh, computer and farm equipment, uh, farm program needs. But we're talking about encouraging rural business from farming in all and plus all kinds of areas in rural areas to keep the infrastructure of America strong. So when you ask what's going on here, I think that in some ways we're letting profit rule whether rural communities can stay strong and healthy when in reality we need other solutions for this to make sure that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, here in Los Angeles, we have 5G. We don't need 5G. Um, so it's, it's how to convince these people. And to your point, you know, um, this is where food begins. And if we can't get a farmer uh, good communication, whether it's for their tractor or for their cell phone um, or to communicate with you, uh, bottom line is we've got we've got a huge issue. We've got a problem. So it's, it's how we can convince them. And I and I love the fact that you're auditing you know, your board members as a test to be able to have that kind of data. Um, let's, let's switch gears um, onto consumers. Um, have you seen any, um, and this is for both of you, and, and maybe Lynn, you know, you'll go first. Have you seen any direct impact on soy with consumer habits changing as a result of COVID-19? I mean, we've all walked into supermarkets um, and we've, for the first time in our lives, we saw empty shelves and people, you know, freaked out uh, and they bought anything that they could. Has any of those behaviors affected um, your business, Lynn? Um, definitely when I'm out in the stores and that I have seen that more of the alternative food products that soy is in quite a bit in is actually off the shelves as well, which is really exciting as a soybean producer. Um, and it just makes me think, well, are they just getting that just so they have something or are they really enticed with it? But either way, it's going off the shelf. So it's happy with me that's using up the soybeans that I grow, uh, which is a win for me. Um, but a lot of the other things really, I've seen that people are leaning more towards trying to find local products. Um, that was very evident when the store shelves were empty with pork and beef and poultry. And I had a lot of even friends that I went to high school with that I haven't talked to in years that called me up and they're like, Hey, do you have any cows and, you know, and pork and, you know, we can't find anything. We don't understand what's going on. And yeah. uh, so I did a lot of education really more than anything, trying to help them to understand that the products really aren't, in short supply, it's just the transportation system trying to get them where they need to. And with the way that a lot of these processing facilities were having to work, that we're all meeting a lot of challenges that we never saw. But 
Um, for the most part, things have went really smooth, except for if you're wanting a certain particular item, you may have to shift to something that you're not necessarily used to buying. But I have, well, I was talking with my tire manufacturer um, uh, repairman that uh, we do a lot of business with. And he was saying that actually he's had more people ask about the tires that Goodyear and that makes that has the soy oil in them. And I thought that was really intriguing that before it was basically myself and somebody else that was inquiring whether we could get those products yet. And um, that he had more people during this time of COVID asking for products like that because they knew that somehow that was going to come back and help the farmer in the long run. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, tidbit through all of this as well. Absolutely. And Polly, give us the, the 30,000 you know, foot level on consumer habits changing as a result of COVID-19 and anything that you're paying attention to um, as we approach the holiday season? Yes, so obviously we've had a resurgence in in-home cooking due to COVID-19, which means that the meal variety that folks used to get from restaurants, many times they have to manufacture on them on their own. They have to keep themselves interested in their food. I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing a variety of protein choices by consumers because they're enjoying their animal proteins and they're also enjoying their plant proteins on a regular rotation. So they have some meal variety. We've also seen a renewed interest in a lot of fitness industries. I mean, you can hardly buy a bicycle these days. The in-home bikes, Pelotons, and those kinds of things are sold out all the time. So a renewed interest in fitness means a renewed interest in health and wellness through diet. And that means a renewed interest in protein as well. So whether it be soybeans, protein that you get through plants like soybeans, or proteins that you get through uh, soybean customers like pork and poultry and beef, this renewed um, interest in both at-home cooking variety as well as food as health and fitness uh, are bode well for, uh, for the soybean farmer. The other thing I can say is this, um, we talked about technology on the farm. It's really important to produce food, but it's even more important probably for continued sustainability uh, metrics in farming. In other words, it's very, con- it's very important to consumers that we produce food sustainably. Uh, we need technology to continue to make improvements. Um, So in other words, when we have our tractors hooked up to high-speed internet, we can make decisions about inputs on those crops that are more sustainable than if we don't have the high-speed access. So everything comes together in sustainability. When we think about in-home cooking, when we think about products that are more sustainable and available in the U.S., when we think about supply issues because we don't have as many flights overseas to bring things into the U.S. and lots of things are being shipped uh, in old school fashion. Um, Under sustainability, everything comes together. Fortunately, soy has a very good story to tell on that. And uh, we can play in all those areas from the tires Lynn mentioned to sustainable food protein choices and beyond. So Lynn, um, I'm going to ask you this question first and then uh, Polly, same question for you. Look into your crystal ball. Um, what happens after COVID-19? And hopefully that's you know, much sooner than, than later. Um, after COVID-19 is over, what does the world of soy look like? Lynn? Yeah, I think it's still going to be a very bright future for soy and that farmers and the United Soybean Board, we're still going to try to push as much innovation to get that bushel number and to be very sustainable and 
tried to produce a quality product that um, we want to produce ourselves because for us, that's a reflection of us as how good of a product we can produce um, that's going to help the consumer and the end user. And then also there's a lot of things that are going on that even though everyone's been working remotely and we're navigating this whole new Zoom meetings and different things, uh, technology of meeting, but there's a lot of projects and things that have went on the last year. Um, there's a huge project of with asphalt that's going on where we're having a soy-based polymer that's in that, and that has been really successful. And if that can get a lot more traction, which it's starting to be um, the different departments of transportation in different states have been using that. And I, I think it's Iowa State University has had a study going on where they've actually had the asphalt down and have been um, driving over it and seeing how it does in hot and cold climates. And that, that looks very promising. And um, right now there's been about 300 million tons of asphalt um, put down and that's a lot of soybeans that have already been used to make that. So that's very promising that that's an, a great way that we can um, have our soybeans used here domestically as things get a little bit challenging, possibly again in the future. But then another re really interesting project that we've helped do is we've helped fund a study. Uh, we used $2 million for a research project on dredging the lower Mississippi. And that's helped us spur some other federal funding dollars and also some dollars from the state of Louisiana to try to get that project to go so that we don't lose uh, some very vital markets that go up and down the Mississippi River if that dredging doesn't occur in the near future. And then as Polly mentioned earlier, the rural broadband, that's absolutely dire. I am one that definitely has horrible internet. Um, I'm surprised my video is still lasting this long to tell you the truth, normally it doesn't. I'm lucky to have 3G on a good day out here. Um, and, you know, we're just constantly trying to find ways to help return that investment that as a producer that I'm paying into the checkoff that's being uh, leveraged and researched and invested in different ways. And there was actually a study not too long ago that helps us to determine how many um, dollars of return there is for every dollar that we've invested on the board. And it's a little over $12 that um, comes back as a return on that $1 investment. So I think that's pretty, um, uh, it's great news as a farmer, especially as these times are getting tougher and tougher for us out here in the heartland that we're, that, that's just a very positive thing that our um, checkoff dollars are being leveraged and, and invested in such a great way. So. Yeah, no, that's a terrific return on investment. You, you know, I would I would take that deal any day. Uh, so, Polly, uh, look in your crystal ball. What mm -hmm. is what does the world of soy look like after COVID nineteen? You know, I don't think soy has ever had a brighter future than it does now. Uh, I will say that I love working for the soy industry right now. I, I, you know, there are lots of other commodity products. I've worked for several in my career. This is a very exciting time uh, for soy, and there are two major reasons, lots of reasons, but two major reasons that come to mind uh, from a 50,000 foot perspective. One of them is the increasing demand for protein globally. So soy is, uh, is in soy, soy is in pork, soy is in poultry, soy is in beef, and all of those uh, will grow. The demand for all of those products will grow as disposable income increases and as population increases globally. That's a very bright spot for soy, no matter what kind of protein you choose to eat. 
The second area is that the demand for sustainability and renewability in products from consumers globally is growing exponentially, and soy is dedicated to replacing um, extractive non-renewable petroleum-based products with uh, renewable, obtainable, and sustainable soybeans, um, be that meal or oil. And I think those, uh, the demand for both sustainable products globally and for uh, diverse protein products globally both mean that the demand for soy is bound to increase in the future and the future is very bright. It certainly sounds it. Uh, and, and thank you both for joining us today on Farm Food Facts. Uh, be safe. Um, and, and Lynn, I hope you get those truck parts soon. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well. U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Forum. Our movement sponsors, United Soybean Board and National Pork Board. Our presenting sponsors, Wells Fargo, Cargill, and DMI. Our platinum sponsor, the Native American Agriculture Fund. Our gold sponsors, Bader Rudder, Bayer, Corteva, Dairy West, Edelman, Ernst & Young, the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, Frog, McDonald's, Nebraska Soybean Board, and Nutrien. Our silver sponsors, CoBank and OCP North America. Our bronze sponsor, Nestle Purina. Our copper sponsor, Ruan. And our donor sponsor, Tyson. For more on all things food and agriculture, please visit us at usfarmersandranchers.org. Also, be sure to look out for us on Facebook at US Farmers and Ranchers and on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.